0: Welcome to the podcast of the Renew community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. Well, good morning, Renew. Happy Advent to you. You know, in this Advent season, we've been exploring this idea of reorientation. And what reorientation looks like, right? Reoriented hope, reoriented joy. This morning, we're going to look at reoriented peace, and then, of course, reoriented love. And uh, in many ways, as we heard Doug talk, and among others, it's been a little bit more reoriented than probably we imagined this, uh, this December in our community. But when we think about this idea of the prefix of re, when we think about the Christian story, there's a lot of re, isn't there? Redemption and Reunion and reconciliation, restoral, rest- restoration, and of course renewal when we think about the name of our own church here, renew. And that little prefix re, right, if you think about it, it means to start again after a long pause or to return to something that was uh, of original intent. Now, this idea of redemption and renewal and reconciliation runs deep in our bones, doesn't it? It's why we weep at a movie. It's why when we don't receive it in our own lives, why it hurts and wounds us. It's hardwired into us, this idea of re reorientation, And so this has been, let's be honest, a very disorienting season. And it makes our heart long for this kind of re-working in us and through us. You know, in week one of of Advent, Ben helped us explore this idea of reoriented hope. And he had us focus on the word behold. What does it mean to behold? That hope is always rooted in memory. And it's where we're waiting for God to do as he promised. And then last week, Cindy talked, uh, uh, led us in exploring this idea of reoriented joy. Where she said the most spiritual thing that we can do is to actually choose And that Jesus chose joy instead of sorrow for the joy set before him, and that we too can choose joy regardless of circumstances. So this morning, I want us to look at what does it mean for reoriented peace? So just as we get started, I want to put this question up on the screen, and I just want you to turn to the person next to you just for about 60 seconds. Don't overthink it. Just what's the first
1: thing that comes to your mind when you think of peace? All right, ready, go. All right. Now that you've got this idea of peace in your mind, I want us
0: to, to, to think about, you know we've talked over the last several years about Advent, that Advent is a season where we stand on our tiptoes as Christians, right? That there's this, this waiting, this anticipation that we have. And, but if can we just be honest for a moment, knowing that the last two years, we've been exhausted enough that maybe even standing on our tiptoes is too much. For many people in this season, Hope has been dashed, Peace, uh, joy has been absent, peace seems non-existent, and it's for many people been replaced by fear and worry and violence, and love seems to have gone AWOL. Just last month, I was reading about a Southwest flight attendant who was hospitalized after she was assaulted on a flight for asking someone to put their mask on. And just yesterday was reading another article about a Delta flight going from DC to LAX that was rerouted because there was a, a violent drunk passenger who had to be strapped down. Um, and the, Even the, the flight attendant calling over the mask for able-bodied men to join in the back of the, uh, of, the, of the plane. Violence and crime and homicides in large cities are up. Rudeness to the service industry is up. Even the name of one of the most popular messaging apps among middle school and high school students is called Discord. (laughs) So I want to ask you a couple more reflection questions here. What
1: does peace feel like for you? When you've really felt peace, what did that feel like viscerally, physically in your body? Who are the most peaceful people that you know? Where's their lack of peace in your life? And what could peace practically and specifically look like if you were to
0: fully embrace it as God intended? I was uh, reading recently about studies about the pain points of anxiety in people's lives. And among middle school and high school students, these were the main questions that dominated their thinking week by week, according to this study. How do I manage my anxiety better? How do I stay safe at school? How do I avoid being made fun of or bullied on social media? What will I do with all this FOMO? For singles, it was, will I ever find someone? What's wrong with me? Who will take care of me when I become sick or I become old? For adults, will my business survive in all this uncertainty? What will we do if I lose my job? What about the instability in my marriage? Will I have enough for retirement? Will the Eagles ever win another home game again? I don't know about you, but but peace just feels differently this year. I mean, we drive around and see peace plastered over people's uh, doorframe, or we see those little red and green uh, banners staked in the ground that say peace. But a friend of mine asked me recently, is it even possible? You know, this fall, Megan and I celebrated uh, 20 years of marriage. Um, but I don't know if you know this or not, but I also have a longtime roommate, even long before I've known Megan. Uh, and the truth is, I, I, uh, I really can't stand this roommate. <laughs> um, no matter how many times I tell this roommate to leave or move out, or no matter, how many, no matter how many times I kick this roommate out, this roommate moves right back in. And there are many times that I haven't really known what to do about it, and this roommate's name is Anxiety. It doesn't control me like it does many people, um, but my roommate, uh, there's this ambient noise in my life, like a constant low-grade fever. It won't kill me, but oftentimes I live with this sort of miserable state that no one can even suspect it. So I want you to know that this idea of peace is not something that I speak as an expert on to you, but as a fellow journeyer longing with you and journeying with you of really understanding what this idea of peace is that's available to us. Um, Theologian, there's a guy named Walter Brueggemann, and he talked about, he's an Old Testament scholar, and one of the things that he talked about is this paradigm that exists throughout the Old Testament, what he calls uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. He said the people of God, they had a pretty good orientation. They understood what was going on. And then completely disoriented, they're thrown into slavery, you know, in Egypt. And then God reorients them by rescuing them and taking them into the promised land. This overarching paradigm, this mo- these three movements that exist. But he said that's also our own lives, too. That there's a sense of orientation where we feel like we have kind of figured some things out, you know, pre-2020. And then all of a sudden that there's this disorientation where life's rug gets pulled out from under us. It's just a scary, lonely, harrowing time. But there's this reorientation where we realize that God has lifted us up out of the pit and we're in a new place, which gives us gratitude and awareness of what God is doing. Now, for many of us, we're still feeling like we're in that disorientation and wondering when will God reorient us in a new way? That's what we feel in our bones globally. Of course, we've, we've been around church uh, for several advents, and if we've been at church and aware this morning, already we've heard twice the, I, the, the idea, the, the passage of Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9-6. And so just for, for reinforcement, I'm going to read it a third time here this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This week, Carter and I were driving in the car uh, one evening and Handel's Messiah came on my Spotify and we just cranked it up, this song. You wonderful, counselor, and, and we just were screaming it at the top of our lungs. This idea, the prince of peace. If you drove in this morning, you noticed that at the front of Christopher Dock, did anybody notice it on the marquee? It has this verse that we're looking at here this morning. The prophecy of the coming of Jesus as the prince of peace, and I can't help but notice that Isaiah does not say the man of peace, the boy of peace, the person of peace, but the prince of peace. And that line just gives me chills. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Which makes me wonder this question: What does the greatness of unending peace look like? What does the greatness of unending peace feel like? How is that experienced? Let me give you uh, some context here. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter one, especially, especially if you have. A, a, a legitimate real Bible, not a phone Bible. You can turn there if you want, but it won't have the same effect. But if you have a real Bible here, paper paper Bible, I want you to turn to
1: Matthew chapter one, and then I want you to go back one page. And you go, one page, JR. One page back, this is what it looks like. Anybody have this? Anybody have a blank page?
0: So for some of you, it may say New Testament on it. I actually want to teach on this right now. Yeah, Mike. Mike's got it. Anybody else? You can hold it up. Yeah, yeah. Blank page or two.
1: I actually want to teach on this for a moment. <laughs> the words of God, where are there were no words of God? You know, at the end of the Old Testament, there were prophets.
0: God spoke to people with messages using messengers to say, this is the, these are the words of God for the people of God. And then all of a sudden, nothing, silent. And you know what the people said? Why have you left us alone, God? Why are you not speaking to us anymore? And this one page in your Bible right here, this represents 400 years of nothing from God. 400 years of silence where God's people are saying, speak to us, God. You spoke to us in the past. Where are you? Have you given up on us? This right here is
1: disorientation. Nothing. God, do you not care? And then all of a sudden, boom, Matthew 1 starts.
0: All of a sudden, In the midst of 400 years of silence, the New Testament starts. You see, in the first century, there were 27 years of something called Pax Romana. Maybe you remember that from history class in high school. Roman peace. There were no wars. There there was relative peace and prosperity that happened. But here's the deal. When we hear Pax Romana, we have to put an asterisk next to it. Because it was only peaceful for the Jews living under Roman oppression if they submitted to their oppressive rule, and this included Herod. So it's what we would call peace, sort of. Peace, if you stay in line and don't do anything. And the moment you step out, there will be violence. And there's all sorts of things from a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus that talked about little tiny pushbacks that the Jews would have around the temple area. they pick up and they threw a rock at a Roman soldier, and then Herod would come and wipe out thousands of people just to make
1: a point. Don't you ever do that again. The oppressive rule that was there, the peace that
0: existed, the peace sort of, And this of all times in human history is when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, decides to come on the scene. After 400 years of silence, God, where are you? After 27 years of sword of peace, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, shows up. You know, when you read uh, several of the New Testament letters, you see this common greeting at the beginning of the letters, oftentimes by Paul. It's different than how we write letters today, right? We write a letter, dear whomever, and then at the end, sincerely, and we sign our name. But in the first century, you flipped it. You would always put your name first and then have a greeting and then the letter. And this is, of course, what we see uh, in in the New Testament. And Paul always, after giving his greeting, he always says what? Grace, grace. And
1: peace.
0: Grace and peace. Paul starts off in every letter that he writes to churches or to people with grace and peace. In fact, the full phrase that he often uses is grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philemon, he says grace to you and peace from God. Even Peter gets in on the act, and Peter. Uses it twice in his greetings in First and Second Peter. And in one case, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. John uses it in Second John and in Revelation as well. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now, is this just some nice salutation? Or is there something more for us to realize here when this is said? Over the past several months, when I see that grace and peace, I've wondered this question. Why is it always in that order, grace and peace? How come of all of the letters that are written in the New Testament, it's never peace
1: and grace? Why always grace and peace in that order? And I've realized that it's because Paul and
0: Peter and John and other leaders of this movement of followers of Jesus, they were
1: convinced that that you can't have true peace until you first have grace, that the order matters. That grace always precedes peace. We might be able to experience momentary peace,
0: calm and soothing music, a scented candle, a glass of wine, a nice book, breathing techniques, a warm blanket, a yoga mat, Those can often be very helpful, but they don't last. But lasting peace, I'm slowly learning that grace must always precede peace. In fact, the the word for grace in the Greek, let's say this together. It's the word charis. Can you say it with me now? Charis. Charis. It's where we get our word charity from, right? Think about charitable giving. What happens in a charitable giving situation? A charitable donation is where no goods or services are received. It's simply something you have not earned. It's just completely out of the goodness and the kindness of one's heart. Charitable giving is pure financial grace. That's what charitable giving is. Grace in its simplest form is unmerited favor. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We do not buy it. We do not win it. And
1: if we do, it's no longer grace. It is granted to us out of no activity or earning
0: of our own. Now, let's look at that Greek word peace for a moment. This is a little bit harder to say. I'll say it for you, and then you can say it with me. It's irene. Let me hear you say irene. One more time, irene. Irene. So of course we you know the easy translation on that of course is peace, but also this idea of oneness or quietness rest to join and I love my favorite definition of irene is this to tie together into one whole. Two pieces of yarn tied together into one, irene.
1: Now we don't grow in peace as Jesus gives us this idea of peace by just trying harder
0: and willing ourselves. I'm just going to be more peaceful today. I'm going to be more peaceful today. It's not how it works. It's actually counterproductive and counterintuitive. We
1: grow in peace, not by trying harder, but by giving up. By giving up and allowing grace to wash over us first. Peter,
0: Paul, John, they all knew this truth, that grace always precedes peace. It's charis always before irene. This is true in our relationships with our family members and our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors, and it's true in our relationship with God, and it's certainly true with ourselves as well. And a few days before Thanksgiving, I had an acquaintance, not a friend really, but we're Facebook friends, whatever that word Facebook friends means these days. He, he sent me a private message about his relationship with his brother. And I happen to know his brother as well from a context in our community from a few years ago. I've not been in touch with his brother for a handful of years. I may bump into him at the grocery store every now and then. But this man, I'll call him Carl, told me that he and his brother rarely speak now. And their lives have grown apart largely because of some lifestyle choices that Carl has made. And this has caused a rift in his family. And his, uh, his direct message to me was this. He said, hey, J.R., I'm just wondering if you had any insight to offer on how to have a relationship with family that is so far removed from reality right now that it almost seems pointless. What should I do? And I just sat on that for, for a day. I wasn't quite sure how to respond. I, I don't know all the context. I haven't heard from Carl or his brother in a long time. And all of a sudden, he just emails, you know, contacts me out of the blue via Facebook. And as I thought about it, and I, and I emailed uh, or I sent back this message, I said, thanks for your message. I said, I'm not privy to a lot of the specific context here, and I haven't been in touch with your brother in a while. So I'm not sure how helpful my advice can actually be to you specifically. But I would say this to anyone looking to reconcile with friends or family. Forgiveness, reconciliation, confession, repentance, patience, humility, submission, grace. That's the lifeblood of healthy relationships. I'm not trying to be trite here. I'm trying to be true. Oftentimes, this means that we have to live with the go-first principle. We always want other, the other person to go first, and in this case, of course, you would want that to be your brother but we have to draw on our courage and exhibit humility to go first, to be the one to bring it up and try to make it right, to say it, to initiate, to say I'm sorry, to forgive, even when it's not deserved. That's the advice I would give to you.
1: Hope it helps. Grace and peace, Jr. Grace always precedes peace.
0: In fact, if you've ever received an email from me, you've probably seen me sign off my emails as grace and peace, JR. This is not to sound super spiritual. It's not some throwaway schmaltzy email ending. That's not the intent. It's to remind the recipient and more importantly, myself, that this is the reality of how it works. Grace always precedes peace. And since I write several emails a day and that's how I sign it off, it's... Actually, a very common reminder throughout my day that grace always precedes peace. And in Advent, we engage in this embodied act of awaiting Jesus' arrival. And so, at the risk of jumping ahead a little bit, even though we're waiting for Jesus to come onto the scene during the season of Advent, I actually want to jump ahead just a little bit to actual Jesus' birth. And I want to just trace very briefly some of these elements of grace preceding peace. At the end of Luke chapter 1, we read of the arrival of John the Baptist who had paved the way for Jesus and his coming. And we read about John's father, Zechariah, who had disobeyed God and was struck mute with his, uh, during his wife Elizabeth's pregnancy. And finally, after months of not speaking, John is born, Zechariah's mouth is loosened, and he's able to speak again, which I'm pretty sure disappointed Elizabeth significantly. But when Zechariah's mouth opened again, he praised God for about 12 verses and then this is how he ends at the end of Luke chapter one. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah speaks of the tender mercy and grace of God and says that God will direct us in the way of peace because Zechariah knew that grace always precedes peace. In the middle of the next chapter of Luke, we read of Mary and Joseph, and like good parents, good Jewish parents, they take their baby boy to the temple for a Jewish ceremonial ritual, and as they're in the temple area, they bump into a man named Simeon, Old man Simeon, whom the Spirit told him that he wouldn't die until he would see the Redeemer of the world. And we see this in Luke chapter 2. And Simeon took Jesus in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Now, according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. Now, why could Simeon make such a statement like that? Because in that moment, Simeon knew he was holding in his arms the epicenter of grace in human form. And if you hold the epicenter of grace in human form in your arms, then you can say, if
1: grace is here, I have peace.
0: Simeon seemed to know, say it with me now, that grace
1: always precedes peace. Grace and peace. Isn't that what forgiveness is? You can't name a
0: time where true forgiveness and reconciliation has happened. Peace? Without first experiencing what? Grace in the relationship. Grace is extended, so reconciliation can occur. A rene joining together, two as one again. You can't have peace without first experiencing grace. It has to be in that order for it to occur. And then was read by. Denise and Alice, as they were lighting the third advent candle, this idea in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples he's about to leave them and he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is a complete gift. But then Jesus makes this statement about giving us peace. He says, I do not give you as the world gives. I do not give to you as the world gives. Jesus says, I give it to you
1: differently than what the world is trying to tell you peace is about. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid.
0: Jesus wants his followers to know that grace has come in human form and they've interacted with grace in human form. And therefore, since grace has come, peace is now
1: available. Because grace always precedes peace. But what do we do with this?
0: We don't want to just sit in a theater here at Doc and hear a talk about peace. We want to live into it. So how do we do that? I'm trying to do this. I don't do this uh, perfectly. But in those times where I need to be reminded of grace preceding peace, I have to engage in practices. And I want to give us some practices of engagement. I want to encourage you with these to make this as practical as possible. And I think the, the first one that, that's been really helpful for me that I believe could be helpful for you is just vocalizing truth. Not just reading it, not just writing it out, but saying it aloud, vocalizing it. And when I'm anxious and alone and afraid, and it happens more frequently than I'd like to admit, I remind myself of a line from my friend, Jim Smith, who says this, I am the one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I want you to say this with me here. I am the one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. I love that adjective unshakable. I don't just live in the kingdom of God. You don't just live in the kingdom of God. We live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Our our house church before it, it it kind of multiplied out from uh, our larger group we used to meet at the Beleckys. And if you've been at Dave and Chrissy Belecki's house, you know up the stairs, like on the stairs, they have this, this written along the wall. I am the one in whom God uh,
1: dwells and delights, and I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. What a reminder as they walk upstairs every day. Maybe in addition to this statement, it means memorizing some scripture and then saying that
0: out loud to yourself or to others as you're in the car to your family before they leave for school. Another exercise of practice of engagement that's been helpful is to engage in some reflection questions of filling in the blank. Here's a a picture from my my notebook, too. Next slide. Jesus died, so I don't have to
1: blank anymore. What is your blank? Jesus died, so I don't have to blank anymore. And Christ set us free so that we can stop blanking. And maybe another practice of engagement for you is to
0: reach out to someone in your life, someone in our community or someone in your community to pick up the phone or text a friend and and ask for prayer, just simply admitting to others. Just a few weeks ago on a dreary Monday morning, I texted my friend Matt, and this was the text. Hey, man, good morning. Can you pray for me specifically this week? I'm feeling overwhelmed, flat, and insecure for some reason this morning. I'm fully aware of my shortcomings at the moment and I feel weighed down by it all. Thanks. Just to know that Matt was lifting me up in prayer that week helps. Maybe you need to reach out to someone and say, I'm not doing well today. Remind me what is true. I need peace. Will you pray? Will you
1: speak what is true to me? Because I'm having a hard time hearing what's true. Caris, then Irene. The whole point of Jesus' arrival on earth, the whole point of admin is, wrapping,
0: is wrapped up in this. Chorus, then Irene. Peace adjoining to nether, together cannot happen between God and people without grace, grace that comes in the form of a little baby that we did not deserve. Let me, let me end, land the plane by saying this. Long-lasting peace came not in a soft soothing instrumental music playlist, but in loud shouts of praise of angels announcing world-shattering news to unsuspected shepherds. Peace is not found when we're wrapped up in a warm blanket on the couch, but in who was wrapped up in strips of linen in a urine-infested cave. Peace is not found on a yoga mat, but in a manger. Peace is not found in a back massage appointment, but in the compassionate touch of a God who became human like us. Peace is not found in lighting a scented candle, but in experiencing the reality of the light of the world according to the one who ascended on the throne. Peace is not found in dozing off for a nap, but in waking up to realize that grace is accessible to you, yes, you, and also to me. And this kind of peace is scandalous because it's preceded by grace, which is even more scandalous than that because we don't expect it. It's where we can say, cheer up, you're worse off than you thought.
1: <laughs> when we truly understand grace, that becomes a reality for us. And this grace is accessible to
0: anyone who wants that gift. And the wonderful thing about grace is that what well, comes right after it, peace. Do we experience perfect peace all the time? No. We live in our broken states as humans. It's a constant, warm, fuzzy feeling? Nope but it's there and as philip, philip Yancey says grace is always lurking on the edges and if that's true then i picture i picture i picture grace like this lurking on the edges and i picture peace just with his his or her hand on the shoulder of grace peering over grace's shoulder as well because they're close they're close by and I'm learning that this grace and peace reality requires faith on our part to step into it. And it's what we wait for. It's when Advent is at its best. So let me hear you say, what together with me, what Advent reminds us of, that grace always precedes peace. Chorus, then, Irene, And the role of the church is to experience this grace preceding peace reality, and then turning around and embodying, expressing, and proclaiming this grace preceding peace reality
1: to other people. In fact, I just think, wouldn't that be a wonderful name for a church,
0: Grace and Peace, to embody that Grace and Peace by just living into that name, the Grace and Peace Church? I was moved the last week or two by this passage in Titus 3. You know, sometimes you read a passage and it's been there and you've read it many times and all of a sudden it just feels like it becomes 3D and it just pops up off the page at you. The last couple of weeks, Titus 3, this has been for me. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That just moves me. What a God, this grace preceding peace God. And the hope of Advent is this, that God is so great we don't have to be in control, that God is so glorious, we don't have to be afraid, that God is so good that we don't have to look elsewhere, and God is so gracious, we don't even have to try to earn it. That's what Advent is about. Paul knew it, Peter knew it, John knew it, Zechariah knew it, Simeon knew it, and Jesus wanted his early and earthly followers to know it, and He wants us to know it deep in our bones today. Say it with me one last time that grace always precedes peace. Peace has come, as we just sang. Dan, let us in this. Peace has come for our King is with us. Amen and amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this Chorus and Irene that's available to us. And thank you that you are a God where grace precedes peace. And because grace has come in the form of a little baby that is among us just as Simeon knew, just as Zechariah knew, just as Mary and Joseph knew, we thank you that you are that kind of God who extends grace to us where we can cheer up, we're
1: worse off than we thought because grace then abounds in us. Lord, thank you this phrase. Thank you for this reality, this truth. But Lord, it's so easy for us,
0: for us to just have this stuck in our head that grace always precedes peace. But Lord, what we need is for you to drop that from our heads into our hearts so it runs wild through our bloodstream. Help us to be the kinds of people that live into that reality. We don't just say it. That we wouldn't just know it by memory that we would know it by heart. Thank you for being that kind of God, what we celebrate here as we lit the third candle of peace. And it's your name that we pray, amen.
1: Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online, as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and
0: encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture, seeking to become
1: more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening.